Get ready to tune in to stories of average men striving for greatness to become the leaders that are needed in their homes, in their career, and their communities. This is the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. Hey, Scott, thanks so much for being a part of the podcast. How you doing, man? Good, yourself? I'm doing well. Just got back from vacation, so that's always good, refreshing. I, I uh, made several posts in the group about guilt-free play, which is incredibly important. Um, and I have been a horrible at doing it. So it was really good. So uh, before we get too deep into conversation, because I know we're going to jump right into it, why don't you go ahead and let us know a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a Marine vet. I served uh, 13 years in the Marine Corps, and I'm a veteran mindset coach or life coach for, vets, for veterans, essentially. That's awesome. So um, definitely going to dig into that. Uh, you've been married? Yes, 16 years. Almost okay, 16, maybe 16 years of May. Right on. And uh, kids? Uh, I got a son, eight-year-old son. All right. Well, welcome to the show. I'm super pumped to have you. And um, and uh, I just, uh, it's funny because we I get connected. I get referrals from people that I've had on the podcast. And in this case, Brian Alvey reached out and said, you've got to talk to Scott Leeper. And I'm like, okay, sure, <laughs> whatever. And yeah. the only information I got from him basically was, uh, I met Scott at a jiu-jitsu <clears throat> tournament and, and knowing Brian and the fact that he does hard things all the time, he's yeah. always challenging himself. And that's really a theme that I'm, I'm really honed in on because I think that's where growth happens. Um, he said, Scott's got a great story for you. Uh, and uh, so man, jiu-jitsu, how long you been doing that? Honestly, I've only been doing jiu-jitsu for, I don't know, seven months. Uh, my son was doing it for uh, he's been doing it for about three years. And so I've, I've watched him. Um, my, my first true love is, is, uh, is the gym. I, I spent a lot of time weight training, but after watching him for so long, uh, I decided it's, it's time for me to get involved and, uh, that could be something that me and him do together. So, um, so about seven months. Yeah. And you're in a competition already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was interesting to say the least. <clears throat> so, First of all, what was, what was the mindset that got you from, I mean, at that time, you're probably four or five months into the, uh, into jujitsu. I'm thinking this is a couple months ago where, how does your mind go from, I'm brand new at this. I'm going to just going to go for a competition. Um, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's really a measurement of, of where I'm at. I, I don't, I don't measure myself against other people. I measure myself against myself and, you know, I've, I've been in um, multiple bodybuilding competitions. And so the, the, the competition mindset is just something that's a part of me at this point. So um, training jujitsu, I do it not because I want to be in the sport of jujitsu. I do it uh, to be able to defend myself and de defend my family. Uh, however, by competing in, in the, in the jujitsu tournament, that gave me an opportunity to actually see uh, where I was, um, as far as my skill level was concerned. So, um, yeah, it, it, it definitely showed, um, uh, where my strong suits are and definitely showed where <laughs> I had some improvements that needed to be made. So, uh, yeah, it was a good experience. Yeah. I've got several directions I want to go with this. So let's walk through that. Let's tell us about that competition. I mean, you kind of giggled. So I'm thinking there's a little bit of <laughs> or chuckled is probably a more manly word. There's, there's, yeah. there's a story here. Yeah. Um, well, so I'm 38 and, um, you know, I, I went into this tournament and I signed up for masters and masters, I think was, 
think it was 30 to 45 or 35 to 45, something, something like that. And when I saw the bracket there, there was only five of us. And so, which means I was only going to compete twice. And they told us, they were like, listen, if you want to be put in any other bracket, go ahead. Um, just, uh, just let us know and we'll add you to the bracket. So seeing as I'm only going to do two matches, I'm like, man, I want to do more than this. So I told them to add me to the adult bracket. Now the adult bracket is all the younger guys. Um, yeah. Um, I went from having two matches to having seven matches. Five of those were, um, went the distance. They went five minute rounds, uh, the full five minutes, and they were all within about a 35 minute timeline. So yeah. Uh, in, uh, two of the, the, the two matches, um, I did two matches against the masters guys. One of them being Brian Alvey. Um, he, he, he beat me up pretty good. Um, we had a good, we had a good, uh, a good role together actually, but, um, he ended up winning that match, but, uh, then these other matches were against, um, these young guys and, you know, I don't have the, I don't have the stamina I used to. So by about the time I got to that sixth and seventh round or that sixth and seventh match, and, and these guys are still bouncing around and jumping around. I'm like, I'm already hunched over. I almost got my hands on my knees. Like, <laughs> okay, here we go again. Like I learned my lesson very quickly. Uh, I'm going to stick to my age bracket next time. Um, but, um, but I lost every match. Um, and the thing is, the first three matches, the first match, you know, that was the first fighting match I've ever been in. And it was the first time I had gotten into, we'll call it a fight, um, with somebody I didn't know um, since probably high school. I served in the Marine Corps and we did some grappling and Marine Corps martial arts and that kind of thing. But as far as in this type of setting, I've never done something like this. And I got tapped pretty quickly. Um, he submitted me, he choked me out. And then the second match, the second match, actually, the, um, the guy, he was a younger guy. He was like 20, I think he was like 22 years old. Uh, big kid too. I mean, just big guy. And um, he went to put, put me in an arm bar but I had been able to slip out, but for whatever reason, the, the ref thought that I tapped. And so she called the match. I was a little bit irritated by it. So I, I went up to the, the table and asked him if I can get a rematch because I, I'm not going to concede a match that I didn't tap to. They gave us another match. Me and him, it was a very next match that I, that I was in was with him again. And he puts this time, he puts me into a belly down arm bar. So the other lesson I learned there was be careful what I wish for. Um, because it got me good <laughs> that time. Um, and um, yeah, so, but every time, every, after every match, you know, I, I got my wife and my son watching me and a lot of times, you know, us as guys, like we don't want our family to see us lose. We, we don't want our, our families, uh, especially as men, we don't want our, our families to see us getting beat at something, especially like fighting. And, but for me, it, it was, it was a beautiful opportunity to, um, to give my son uh, a very crucial lesson. And that was failing forward, what failing forward looks like, you know, for a lot of us growing up, the, the narrative is, um, you know, don't lose, don't suck, don't show emotion. Um, you got to be the best at everything. And, and, and it's this, it's this misconception of what an alpha uh, male is. Um, and, and, it, and it goes into 
toxic masculinity. I, I don't really, I, I don't really agree with that term. I, I don't agree with the term toxic masculinity. It's misunderstood masculinity in my, in my opinion. And so, you know, by me losing every match, the person that, that, that walked out of that building with the biggest trophy was my son, because after every match and losing, I went and sat with him and I talked with him and he's eight years old. So he's extremely impressionable right now. And I talked to him about failing forward and about being willing to suck at something um, to learn and to grow. And, and what he also saw was every match I got, I got incrementally better. And then I would go up and I'd have conversations with the guys that beat me and joke around with them and laugh with them and, and get to know them and connect with them. And in my opinion, no piece of metal in there was near as valuable as what those seven losses were able to do uh, for my son. Yeah. You bring up something that I feel really, really strongly about. And that's that, um, I mean, you, you nailed it on the head. And we, when we say we, we ultimately don't want our wives and kids to see us fail. Like, I think instinctually we have this idea that we need to be the victor of all times, everything that we go through. But really what I've learned and what I've done with my kids is, you know, I didn't learn this till later. So I didn't actively show them. I actively show them now, but the, the idea is to talk them through the big failures and the failures that I've had, because if we don't, they're not going to know how to deal with it when they go through it. It's just going to be a repeat. Um, I think that's a, a, it's an art. Every father really needs to tackle. How did you, do you think your son understood the brevity of what was going on or um, you know, what was his response Honestly, I think he was more scared than anything. Um, seeing dad get beat like that, I think that um, I, I think it maybe made him a little nervous. Um, you know, because it, just just like all kids, they they view their they view their dad as as you know their 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 hero, their superhero, and um, uh, you know and, and you know. So I, I think it was more of a he's a little bit apprehensive. Uh, you know, but, but at the same time, it's one of those things where it's just planting that seed, you know, and, and, and allowing that seed to grow and, and cultivate. And, and, and at the same time, I continue to water it because as an entrepreneur, I, I, I've, I've lost countless times. I, I get told no, and, and, um, I get ignored and all of these other things. And so losses happen. And so if he continues to watch me failing forward, that seed's just going to grow, you know? So um, maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Uh, only time will tell. Um, you know, but the other piece to this too is the reason why I'm so intent on, on just planting those seeds and allowing them to grow on their own um, and continue to watering these seeds is I had just the opposite. Like my, I love my dad. Um, and he was never abusive. Um, <clears throat> the issue was, um, and I wrote a book uh, about this as well. My, uh, my dad suffered from alcoholism for a very long time. I think his entire adult, his entire adult life. And, um, back in, uh, 2012, I was a Sergeant stationed at Camp Lejeune, uh, in the Marine Corps. And, um, 
I ended up having to come home and I had to take him off life support. I watched him take his last breath because of his alcohol addiction. And that, that marked me and that affected me greater than anything's ever affected me. And that was three months before Jackson was born. And I remember a conversation I had with my dad um, that was extremely eye-opening before he died. Um, we didn't talk for like two and a half years, almost the entire time I was stationed in, Can or stationed in Okinawa. <clears throat> and he, uh, we, we finally made amends. It was over something stupid, like 250 bucks. It was dumb. But we didn't talk for two and a half years, right? And so we were supposed to, um, we, were sp we were supposed to meet my sister's house. I came into town and we were supposed to meet my sister's house. We just made amends. And um, it was around Thanksgiving time. He didn't show up. Well, he lived just, just down the street uh, from my sister's house. And so I walked down there and I knock on a door and he answers it. And he's already swaying back and forth. I mean, he's already, he's already trashed. And, and I kind of walked in and I just, I had that disappointed look on my face. It just, I was just, I was just pissed at this point. And um, I kind of walked in, I just took stock of what I was looking at. You know, I hadn't talked to him in two and a half years. And I look around and he's just in this little shack apartment, trashed living room. I look in the kitchen and he's got empty alcohol containers, glass, plastic, cans, bottles, like stacks as high as a countertop. And that's not an exaggeration. I mean, it looked like a recycling plant. And I turned around and looked at him. And I, I just, I was, I was frustrated. I said, dad, what, what are you doing? And he sat down on his chair. And of course he had an open beer in front of him. And tears start flowing. At this point, he starts sobbing. He says, look at me. I said, I'm fat, I'm nasty, nobody loves me, nobody wants me, this is my escape. And it was in, I didn't know what to say, I think I said something, I don't remember because I, I kind of glossed over at that point, so I'd never seen that. My dad was, I, I compare my dad to Robin Williams. Um, whenever he was around people, his medicine was making other people laugh. But as soon as people were gone, and it was just him, it was him and his demons and his own self-hatred. And he didn't know how to deal with that. So he took the alcohol and it just made it worse. And, but it was in that moment where I started to understand why he drank so much. And then in his death, he actually taught me ambition. He taught me drive. He taught me self-worth, self-care, self-love, self-trust. He taught me what it meant to take care of myself through his own inaction. And so at the beginning of my son's life, and we'll, we'll get into this here in a moment, but at the beginning of my son's life, I was not that example. Um, I, was, I was turning into the same example as my, as my father. Um, and so now... Uh, because I've been able to do the work for myself and because I do what I do now with vets and um, with coaching and that kind of thing, it's, it's become my mission to make sure that at any point 
I'm teaching him the lessons that I didn't get when I was younger. Yeah. I kind of went off on a tangent there, but no, it's awesome. So his death basically uh, ultimately led you to realize that um, you can shortcut that with your son tremendously and your own life. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of, well, I know a lot of guys get stuck in the trap. You said you were kind of stuck in the same trap um, early, probably early in your marriage, which is pretty common for men is they Mm kind of go through this cycle where they start to do things that they later realized was not the right path. Um, what was your wake up call? What was your own wake up call? You know, you said you're kind of going down the same path as your dad. Um, well, um, shortly after his death, you know, my son was born three months later. Um, by his first birthday, I was having an affair with my wife. Um, and, um, we weren't doing good at all. I told her I wanted a divorce. She moved back up to Indiana. I was still down there. Um, and, uh, Luckily, we worked things back out and we're still together now. Um, but the command had found out about the affair. And after 13 years, after multiple deployments to Iraq, um, I, was, I was kicked out of the Marine Corps with an other than honorable discharge. And mental health played a key role in that because um, I had, you know, they, they had, they had, they had uh, diagnosed me with anxiety, with uh, depression. Um, and then it wasn't until after I got out, like they misdiagnosed me, said I didn't have PTSD when I was in, but then the VA quickly said, no, you have chronic PTSD. So I had all of these things. Now, none of that is, is, is an excuse um, for, for the actions that I took, but it was, it, it took losing my, my Marine Corps career, which um, my dad had even said I would be a lifer. And so that was, that was an even further gut punch when I got kicked out um, because he believed in me being a Marine so much. I mean, even when we didn't talk for two and a half years, he always talked, told people how proud he was of his Marine son. And um, so that was even more of a gut punch, but it was, you know, when I got out, I had, I, there was a part of me that knew I wanted to help people didn't want know what that looked like, but fired from multiple jobs and forced to resign from jobs and, all of these things that um, it, it all, it was just a, it, I don't think it was one specific wake up call. That was really the catalyst event. But after my, you know, my first job, it was a staffing job. I got fired from that job. Second job was working for a, um, a nonprofit that funded uh, rehab facilities. And I got four, I was forced to resign from that one. Uh, and then the third one was, I'm working for a garage door company. I got fired from that one as well. The thing about each of these though, I took something from each of them and for the nonprofit that, um, that funded their rehab facility, I actually spoke to the men in that rehab facility, uh, and shared my dad's story. And so that all led to, um, when I was in a garage door company, I found bodybuilding, started competing. So when I got fired from that job, I became a personal trainer, which led to becoming a coach. So it was all really, it's just, it's just like anything else where, uh, you had the catalyst event, but then I've, I've made it a point to embrace this journey that I've been on that I can, conti- that I'll continue on until, until the day I'm six feet under. Yeah. I, <clears throat> I love hearing like the, the trajectory or the timeline of men's journeys and it just, it, 
you know, life's got to suck before it gets better. <laughs> I mean, if someone tells you differently, if someone tells you it's all been roses, unicorns, and rainbows, they're probably lying. And um, the thing that I, I chat with a lot of guys about is if they're going through a really hard time, it's like, you can take this opportunity to grow, or you can use this as an excuse to shrink. It's totally up to you. And I, I've had to reframe my mind and it's, and it's made a complete difference in everything that I do, the outcomes, the success, um, reframe my mind that failures or setbacks are opportunities to get better, grow. And I actually look at them as success in that they're forging the end product. Mm -hmm. Like the mistakes I made raising my young boys, the, the mistakes I've made in business, the mistakes I've made as a husband, those are just forging a really, really sharp tool into who I am now, yeah. where I am, I feel like I'm able to excel in those, in those times. And then I'm able to see challenges now a little earlier and, and reframe how I'm thinking about them so that I can come out on top. And it sounds like that's pretty much your philosophy. Yeah. You know, the, listen, the masterpiece is not created with a single brushstroke. It starts with the first brushstroke. And one of the things that I had to learn was, uh, you know, life doesn't happen to you. It happens for you. But the problem is too many people look at the challenges that they face, the failures that they've had as life happening to them. The thing is, if I didn't like my dad's death is not a curse. I used to view it as such, but it's not a curse. My dad's death is a gift because if that didn't happen exactly the way it happened, we wouldn't be on this call right now. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing with veterans. I may still be in, I'd probably be close to retirement. I would be close to retirement. Um, but I would probably would have been hating life. And who knows how many times I would have had to have been away from family. Like there's so many variables that take place and we get so zoned in on what, you know, the negative thing that happened that led to what didn't happen. Okay. What positive came out of that and what good has happened since then? And, you know, there's an old, uh, there's an old Wayne Dyer saying that um, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to see the things around you change, you have to change how you see the things around you. And that was exactly one of the things that I had to do at the very beginning was I had to start shifting my perspective about things and start seeing things from a different, different light. I did say, you know, it's like drawing the number, the number six, to give you a quick illustration about this, you draw the number six on a piece of paper. And how do you, how do you shift your perspective about that number six, simply flip it upside down, you now have a number nine, right? It's the same thing with everything that happens in life. And you just have to ask yourself, these. you have to stop judging the situation for what it is. Because in judgment, there's no curiosity. And curiosity, there's no judgment. So if you can start living life through the lens of a curious child and you start to see how these things can actually benefit you and how you can learn from these things and grow from these things at that point life starts to shift for you because there's opportunities being presented that you don't even see them because you're so focused on um something bad to happen and i'm not saying like bad things don't happen no bad things happen to good people all the time and and and, and that's how life is sometimes. But how are you viewing that situation that took place? You can't change the event, but you can change the frame. I've talked about this a lot with people. 
you can't change the event. Events happen. Things take place. We can't explain them. It's just it, the coronavirus. The coronavirus happened. It, in, 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 in some people died from it. Some people lost their jobs from it. Um, you, you know, you got you got different presidents coming in, and people don't agree with it. Some people do. Some people don't. And all of these things happen that that people are not understanding. The thing is, these events we cannot change. What we can do is change the frame. Now, the frame is filled with a few different things. It starts with a label. How are you labeling that event? When you label that event, it creates a meaning. That meaning now has an emotion attached to it. The emotion has a reaction attached to it, and that reaction creates an end result. Take my dad's uh, death for the example. If I would have stayed bitter, I would have continued drinking. And the end result might have been my son having to do the same thing to me. Right. Yeah. I I, I was going through um, a course, a certification course, and I was working with the coach. And he said, uh, it was just one-on-one. He's like, title, he had me title some events from my past, some significant events. And most of my significant events that I see as negative were in middle school. I mean, they were school related. They were almost always with adults, not, not usually with kids. And so I titled like four or five different events. And um, then I wrote the story out, like the, as it would like to share it with somebody, I wrote the story out and then I read it. I'm like, there was a common theme in all of these is the way I was, I had perceived and personified and believed those events happened were all very identical. I was a victim. And I let that for years, 20, 30 years, control outcomes of current things. The way that I viewed things happening in my daily life were still structured around the way that I interpreted what happened back then. I reinterpreted there, retold the story in my, like looked through that story. I'm like, man, this isn't, I, I controlled the outcome. Like, yes, that happened to me. But the way I responded mentally and emotionally was controlling my future. And all I had to do was reframe that response in my head. Like, huh, yeah, I need to own that I screwed this up. Or, you know, I had no control over that situation. Time doesn't define who I am. Yeah. And that was major breakthrough. Coming through like, like situations, you don't know how relevant those past experiences you have in your head when, they're, when, this, when your language wrapped around it is totally effed up. It was totally screwed up. I'm, now I'm like, man, I was a victim for 30 plus years where I didn't have to be. I did that to myself. I interpreted it that way myself and I interpreted it wrong. And that is my fault. And here I am and I am going to crush it next time. And that is, I mean, I think you're talking about the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the thing is, we, we, We make the mistake of thinking reality is exactly what it is. Right. But there's a theory that I completely align with. And that's what if reality isn't what we think it is? What if what we think creates our reality? I think, I think it creates the way we perceive our reality. For sure. Absolutely. No doubt about it. 
and perception is interpretation. So I was reading today and I actually put this on social media. I was reading today, um, the obstacle is the way and something just smacked me across the face. And it was a, it's something that Ryan Holiday wrote in that book. He said, when we believe in the obstacle more than the goal, which will inevitably triumph. I was like, oh, I've been watching, paying attention to obstacles, financial, um, professional, athletic, all these things. I've been paying attention to the obstacles. Guess what's going to happen? I'm going to fail. <laughs> it's going to triumph because that's where my mind is. Same yeah. with stories we're telling ourselves in the head. Same with the narrative we have when a situation occurs. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and that's the same thing that I've, you know, I've fallen into that trip trap plenty of times as an entrepreneur too. Yeah. Uh, you know, being, you know, being the ignored and not getting in and getting the nose and, and that kind of thing. And, um, and, and at times needing the money and it doesn't come through and, you know, and all these things. And, you're right. There's been plenty of times where I've, I, I too, you know, cause listen, these are all things that we talk about and, and, and that we believe in and that we practice, but we have bad days too, where we still get into our heads. Right. And it's not, we're not, this whole conversation, like for anybody listening, let's not get it twisted. Let's not think for a moment that we are immune to getting into our, to, to not getting into our own heads, right? Like coaches will tell you, like we too have coaches and we too um, um, have days where um, we need somebody to tell us that thing that we need to hear. And it might be something that we say and that we work with people on, but sometimes we gotta hear it from somebody else. And so we, we fall into these traps, we fall into these pitfalls, but, you know, just like you, you, you read this book this morning, that's the other piece too, is this self-education. Like people think education is only in a degree. It's not, and I'm not, I'm not downplaying degrees. Like if people have degrees, awesome. I personally don't, not that I wouldn't want to, but you know, there's, there's no disparity. I'm not talking to disparities here, but what I'm saying is people think education is only in school. There are so many books out there. The one you mentioned, great book. The Power of Habit that's sitting on your shelf behind you, phenomenal book. When people start to read and they start to learn and they start to implement, they'll start to grow. And us as men, we've got to do that. You said something right there that has, has been a big thing for me thinking about because so the story goes is I was listening to an audiobook. I hadn't read, I got I have a master's degree. Yay for me. I have a I have a bachelor's in psychology, I have a master's in education. Um, so so I've got this degree, big degree. I used to hang it on the wall behind me because it defined a little bit of who I was, right? Which it doesn't. Um and fast forward, I'm I've been teaching for 10 years. And I'm listening to an author. Someone gave me a, a, an audio book when it was on CD. And um, he said something about the number of books you read. And um, he's like, readers are leaders. It's just super simple statement. I'm like, oh, like I, other than that book that I was listening to, I hadn't read any book in its entirety since I graduated with my master's degree. 
Yeah. And I started to devour books, but something that, and I learned, I learned a lot. I, I, I devoured them, but something that you said that made the next level difference that I implemented two years ago was implementation. You can listen to your ears bleed. You can read to your eyes bleed, but unless you take those concepts and put them into practice, just like you have a, a, a banner or poster or sign on the wall that says, watch your actions for they become habits, watch your habits for they become your pet, um, character. But uh, until you make those things habits, you learn that you get these great nuggets from these books, but until you implement them, they mean nothing. You know, knowledge is one thing. Action is, um, is wisdom. Action of knowledge leads to wisdom. And wisdom is so much better than just flat out knowledge. I think that's pretty much what you were saying with a college degree and, and such, because I don't use my college degree for anything other than um, it's, you know, I've learned from that experience. I, they say knowledge is power. I, I don't agree. Knowledge I don't either. is <clears throat> simply that it's knowledge. It's, it's, it's filling up brain matter with information. Nothing wrong with that. There's extremely smart people out there that have a lot of knowledge. But implementation is growth. And growth is a very difficult thing for a lot of people. To start growing, you have to start practicing. For a lot of people, they've been practicing feeling bad for so long. So it's very challenging to start practicing feeling good, but, and, they, and some people may even feel fake when they first start doing it, but the more they practice it, the better they get at it. Just like anything else. Oh, dude. Uh, I do. I do. John Gordon, an author that I love, um, has a podcast. It's a, something positivity. It's incredible. He's just like always positive. I'm like, how can you have the energy for that? And he talked about when he started doing these 10 minute gratitude walks or thankful walks, he calls them some like 10 minutes. Yeah. Like you walk for 10 minutes and do nothing but say what you're gra grateful for. Well, how awkward was that? I started, I started mm -hmm. doing that. I go on 45 minute to an hour minute or an hour walks every morning, very, you know, butt crack of dawn. That's what I do to re to set my mind. After I do a little devotional, I'll listen to it while I'm walking. After that, the very first thing I do it, the only thing I do, no exceptions is out loud gratitude. Mm -hmm. And I have a, you know, from point this point, I know it's about 10 minutes. Yeah. That was so freaking awkward. It was so awkward for probably a month. Now I do it out loud. And if I don't get it, I'm, I'm, it completely reframes my day yeah. <laughs> because my thoughts are on all the amazing things that I have. Everything can be crashing down around me. I still have my wife. I still have my kids. They're healthy. Like you can, your frame is completely different and it's all about practice and practice leads to habits. And I, I don't think knowledge is power. I think what we all should be after is wisdom and yeah. wisdom comes into play with knowledge, action, habit forming, um, thought, your thought life, your character, like, you know, what did they, they say the wealthiest man ever was King Solomon. And, and he was also known as the wisest man. So even if you're like, Hey, I want wealth, well then seek wisdom. Yeah. Well, you know, wisdom comes from growth. 
the thing about growth too is when we're kids, we, you know, and my son's going through this right now where, you know, sometimes his knee will hurt or his shoulder hurts or something, right? And I'm like, dude, it's just growing pains, man. We've all been through it. It's growing pains. And we've all been through it. And when we get to about 16, 17, 18 years old, and we, we hit that peak growth point where we're going to be physically for the rest of our lives. For me, it was 5'9", and somehow I've shrunk in it, so I'm now 5'8". I don't understand that. I've already started the old person shrinking. But anyway, uh, yeah. Um, so uh, we think that growing pains are over. Growing pains are just beginning because at 16, 17 year old, years old of, of growing pains, it's physical and it's psychological. We don't realize it's also psychological. We don't see it as such, right? We just see it as things happening to us. But from 18 till our dying day, it's psychological growing pains. That's the first difference. The second difference is it now becomes a choice. We can choose to grow through what we're going through. Or we can choose to remain stuck, disgruntled, irritated, you know, mad at the world. Um, and one way or the other, life is going to get challenging. And but a lot of people they they do the easy thing by staying disgruntled and, and mad at everybody else and pointing fingers at everybody else. But by doing that easy thing, and it's easy, I've done it. It's easy. The problem with doing the easy thing is life continues to get hard. If we do the hard thing and start to look at those three fingers pointing back at us and okay, how, do, how can I grow? What can I learn from this? What are the good things that are coming out of this? What are the blessings in disguise? Like those kind of things. That's the hard thing. That's the uncomfortable thing. But when you start doing the hard thing, life starts to get easier. That's how you obtain wisdom is by embracing the growth points. Discomfort. Absolutely. Get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. I've said this a thousand times on this podcast. If you want growth, the opposite side of growth is comfort. So don't sit in comfort because you're not going to grow there. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you that jujitsu tournament was not... <laughs> Yeah. Coming full circle um, on the jujitsu, because I, I, that's, that's the, I haven't, I haven't stepped into it yet. Um, life's life's circumstances haven't gotten me into a jujitsu gym yet, but um, one, I've heard that it's pretty uh, uh, mentally challenging, like exhausting, like your, your cognitive ability kind of wanes. I can't imagine doing seven, seven rounds in the time or seven matches in the time you did it. Cause I'm sure your brain just kind of like melt had a little bit of a meltdown as well, as well as a physical meltdown. Um, so I wanted to talk, I wanted to circle back around on the, on the protection because you mentioned like, this yeah. is one reason I want to be prepared. I want to be, I want to be able to defend my family. This has been a conversation inside of our group. And I think it's something that I have really been focusing on. In fact, my wife and I, I had a very serious conversation with her today. I'm like, some of the circumstances happening right now in the world and the government is really starting to push some things that like we're not really fully believing in. And we're like, what happens if they say do this or you don't get X, Y, or Z? 
And um, I'm like, we have to be, we have to have this conversation. We can't wait till the moment happens when it says, oh, you guys didn't comply. Now this is going to happen. We have to be in line with how, where do our beliefs, how far are we willing them to be pushed? Where do we, is there a breaking point? And if there's not, what is plan? And I think planning for your family, defending your family, um, firearms, you should know how to use a firearm in case that comes your body, probably what you really need to be figuring out being physically fit and knowing how to defend your family physically. What about jujitsu made you think, yeah, that's the right choice for defending my family. Cause I know you know how to use firearms. Well, yeah, a uh, little bit. Um, <laughs> the thing about jujitsu is when I think of protecting my family with jujitsu, I think being at a restaurant or being out somewhere, maybe it's my wife and I, we want to go have a drink together date night. And here's the thing, like I'm five, eight, about two Oh nine. I'm wide and it's, it's, it's muscle. I spent a lot of time weight training and there have been times where somebody with a, a, a level of insecurity, you, you catch the eye where they kind of look you up and down like, psh, psh. now the thing about bodybuilders and people that are, that, that have a lot of muscle, if you put a bodybuilder in a jujitsu match with a jujitsu practitioner, the practitioner will win every time. But when a bodybuilder does jujitsu, now that's just adding to the dynamic. And I'll talk about one of the things that I had to learn this going, you know, the, the mental game at the, at the very beginning. But so for me, it's, you know, if we're, if we're out at a restaurant or something and, and somebody decides to be insecure, maybe it's just, I stepped on somebody's shoe that um, it was just their, the worst day of their life. And I'm, and I'm catching the brunt of it. What I love about jujitsu is not only can I defend myself and protect myself, but by utilizing particular techniques, I'm able to, uh, I'm able to protect the, uh, the aggressor as well. Right. Oh, I love um, that. Yeah. And so for me, like, I would much rather be able to put somebody into some, some type of submission to protect me and that person than striking. Now, striking definitely has its warrants and definitely has its pros. Um, certainly not taken away from striking, but for me, I would rather um, get into the clinch with the guy, submit him, get him into some sort of submission move to where, okay, we need to calm down or you're gonna take a quick nap. You know what I mean? Um, so that's really why, uh, why jujitsu. And one of the things that I had to learn at the very beginning, you know, I, I, I spent with, with the amount of time that I've uh, spent weight training, um, you know, in the gym, you're, you're muscling everything, right? You're, you're, you're squeezing contractions, um, you know, all, all of that. And what I had to learn in jujitsu was it's the complete opposite. Us meatheads get into the, get into on the jujitsu mat and, 
uh, we're trying to muscle everything and we're wearing ourselves out quickly. I remember the first time I got on a mat with anybody, I'm like trying to like muscle him and everything. And he's got his eyes closed and he's just kind of, Oh my gosh. And I'm like, what is the sorcery? You know? Um, but, uh, but I had to learn that, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have to muscle everything. And this is where the, the, the mental piece comes in where you go to the gym and it's, it's war, you know, it's, it's time to go to war and yeah, you can get the jujitsu matches where it's the same thing. But when you're rolling with somebody, you're, 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 you're grappling. And it's just Saturday morning where you're grappling with guys in your gym, you know, you just, you're, you go maybe 60%. So you're learning particular moves, but you're doing it to where you're protecting each other. You're doing it to where it's a flow and it's not so much, you know, two guys trying to beat the crap out of each other. Yeah, that's really cool. I, do you, um, what other things have you done? Well, for, let's, let's back up. I really like what you said about it's protecting yourself, obviously your family or whoever's with you, but it's also protecting the other person. You, you made a statement. It could be their worst day in their life and mistakes they make could lead to consequences that are not good. I mean, if they hurt you, they could end up in jail and yeah. maybe, you know, and then that spins their life out of control. And by being able to subdue somebody who is out of control, you're not only doing yourself a favor, you're, you're doing them a favor. And I think that's a, like something that I haven't given a lot of thought to. I think it's really powerful, really powerful to be able to, you're actually helping somebody in that situation. Well, you think about, you think about, you know, the, the situation that we're in and, and mental health has, has any progress we've made with mental health took an extreme hit when COVID came around. Yep. Um, you look at the branches of service and suicide, suicide rates are up 20% across the board. Uh, mental health has, has, has become a, a, even more severe than what it already was, uh, a more severe issue. And so, you know, you've got somebody that they've been isolated for two months, haven't had any human interaction, haven't had any actual human contact. Humans have to have connection to other humans and so by us not being able to do that the mental health issue has gotten worse and so it could be where they get out for the first time and maybe their anxiety is up a little bit because of because they've got the fear of of contracting it but they're trying to get out or whatever the case is we never know their their wife could have just died Something could have just happened to their kid. Their, their kid could have just had, uh, could have just been uh, diagnosed with cancer. And we happen to be the one person that said the wrong thing, did the wrong thing. We just got into the crosshairs at the wrong time. Yeah. So we don't need to beat the holy crap out of this person. Submissions allow us to protect the other person as well. That's, that's such a cool aspect that I hadn't really thought through. I think it's just a, it's a, it's a really cool thing. You said something about um, lockup and being kind of isolated from other people. I read before any of this came out, um, I read a book by Brene Brown and um, <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't agree with everything she says, but something that she, she quoted um, some stats from a researcher one of them was that isolation from 
face-to-face real human interaction, actual physical interaction, the, the consequences or the, the health implement or um, the, the health side effects or that are worse, worse than smoking two packs a day. Like worse, like you have to have physical human face-to-face interaction, or you will die a little inside. <laughs> and um, so did you have your, your coaching practice in place? Uh, you, you know, you coach um, veterans. Did you have it in place before COVID? Um, so I've been a coach for, I'm going to coach for about three years. And, okay. uh, but I wasn't coaching vets pre-COVID. COVID, uh, this whole thing uh, just made me pivot entirely. And kind of how that whole thing started was um, January of last year, I started a, a mentoring program at a local VFW uh, for vets in the area. And uh, the commander, the, the previous commander had actually approached me and asked me if I would start one. Um, and so I agreed to it. And so, and we're still meeting uh, first Monday of every month. And um, we were trying to do the, we were trying to use the Facebook events page, but we weren't really getting much traction. Uh, and so I decided I was going to create a Facebook group and, uh, I titled it vets mentoring vets. And when I first started this group, I started it with just the idea of just raising awareness about this mentoring group in the local community and, and only adding vets in the area. But I, but as I'm literally typing the description, I'm like, you know, it's kind of, I'm, I'm missing the mark here. I could, I could open this up to vets across the nation and, and I could utilize my, my coaching abilities to work with other vets in other areas. And so I did. And within the first 30 days, 8,600 vets, active and reserves joined this group. And so when I seen that, I'm like, okay, I clearly have hit a nerve here. And so I need to explore this more. And so on July 30th was when I launched Alpha Lima Charlie and, um, and, and, it's, and it continues to morph into what it's going to become. Um, you know, I'm, I'm right now working the, the um, <clears throat> community care angle because uh, the VA now has the uh, community care program in place where they refer vets um, out in town uh, for various services. So um, that and, and, and a couple other angles as well. Um, and, and it's going to morph into what it's going to be. But... Um, but it's certainly going to, um, I'm certainly going to continue reaching these vets because vets already feel fairly isolated uh, a lot of times anyway, because they, they, when they go into the service, they have purpose, they have identity, they have a sense of direction, they have a sense of belonging. And when they leave the service, all of that's gone. And a lot of them are, are angry and they don't even realize that, that that's the reason. But once you put a face on it, they realize, oh my God, that's it. So um, so that's now, uh, that's now my mission is to, to reach these vets in, in isolation and those that are dealing with challenges and help them navigate it easier. That's awesome. Yeah. 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 That's, that's great. <clears throat> and I think there's just so much, I, I actually know there's an incredible amount of need for, for services for vets that actually helps them get the tools to succeed, not just medication or, you know, um, common therapies. We could probably go down a rabbit hole on that, but uh, we both seem to have a very uh, firm alignment in the importance of the language, your language, the way you interpret events, 
and kind of working through from that angle. And I think I, I just highly promote that, that angle because I know it's so effective from personal and from people I've talked to. So uh, I think that's uh, awesome, man. I hope that that just blows up because I, that would help many, many people. Um, man, it sounds like you're doing hard stuff every day. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it, um, like I said earlier, you, you, you said the, 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 the focus that you like to, to zone in on is, is uh, doing the hard thing. Uh, and, and my response was, uh, that, that sounds like the, the definition of my life <laughs> as it should be. Yeah. 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 You know, and, and I certainly, you know, I, I, I know that I'm not alone there and, and I know that that's a lot of people's lives and, um, you know, there've definitely been people that have been through much, much worse than I have. Um, but it's, it's, it's always the same thing. The events don't change. We can't change them. And even if they were in our control, it happened in the past. It happened. Now we can't change it. But what we can do is change that frame. And when we can change that frame, life just gets easier. Yep. Yep. Well, it, it's, the, it's the analogy I've heard over and over again. It's, uh, you know, we both like working out. To build a muscle, you are actually breaking it down so that it rebuilds bigger. What yeah. we're talking about is building the muscle of um, dealing with stuff, building yeah. the muscle of um, of setbacks, building the muscle intentionally going into things that are going to really challenge us because it will, in a way, break us down. We can choose to let it break us down and stay in that broken down. Unlike the muscle, it won't continue. It won't grow. Or we can choose to rebuild and grow bigger. And, um, I just, I, it's just like my mission to get men to understand this. And I seek out daily. I seek out some challenge. It can be physical. It can be mental. It can be business. I think business always comes at me. There's a, there's a challenge. that's going to help me grow, um, daily. It's one of those things. Like I think entrepreneurs are just kind of tuned into, and, and you're an entrepreneur by all means. And, um, is that we know that if we push forward, there's going to be challenge every day and we can use it to um, break us down or we can use it to, to build us up. And comfort is not comfortable. It's complacency. It's numbness. And that's not, that's, that's for nobody. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there's, there's, there's a couple things to, to add to this too, you know, because there's guys saying, um, you know, well, you know, how do I, you know, what, like we, you, you mentioned a little bit ago about, about language. What do you, well, what do you mean language? You know, so there's, I know that there's guys that, that are going to listen to this, that, that are wondering what, what you mean, what do you mean your language is important? And then the other, and I'll talk about that. And then the other piece too, is there's a lot of guys that are, that, that may listen to this, that might go, dude, I'm not talking about my problems with anybody. Right. Right. So, so the first thing, language, why language is so important. It's the difference between moving away from and moving towards language. When you're saying moving away, what I mean by moving away from language, that's uh, when it comes to money, I don't want to be broke, right? Your, your, your brain doesn't process the negative. So all 
you know, that's like, okay, don't think about being broke. In order for you to not think about being broke, what do you have to think about? Being broke. So when you're thinking about being broke, all you're doing is indicating to your brain where to put the focus. Okay, focus on being broke. So that's all you are going to pay attention to is just ways to be broke, why you're still broke, why things ain't working, like those kind of things. The moving towards statements is just the opposite. I want to be wealthy. We'll just use that as, as, as the example. Um, when you say I want to be wealthy, that is telling your brain what to start thinking about. And when you start, when your brain starts to think about being wealthy, now your brain is showing you ways to become wealthy. You start to think of ways that you can create wealth. So your language is, is extremely important. And the analogy I use for this is think about any time, because some people are like, well, that, I, I, I had somebody, um, somebody told me that, well, that's, that's just stupid. Well, let me give you an example. Think about any time you've ever been driving down the street and there's roadkill on the side of the road or in the middle of the road. And maybe you don't see it because you're staggered off of the vehicle uh, that's directly in front of you and you're up a little bit closer. So you don't see the roadkill um, in time. And, but you have just enough time to swerve, but you're staring at the roadkill. What happens? You hit the roadkill because that's where your focus was. If you have time, now obviously time being an issue here, but let's, let's just, let's say that that front vehicle isn't there anymore and you have the roadkill coming at you. If you are focusing on the path around the roadkill, you will miss the roadkill. I went through a driving, I went through a evasive driving school in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri years ago. And they were talking to us about drifting around corners. And, um, and they, they taught us, you know, look through the turn. Don't look at the wall. Don't look where your, your hood is facing. Look through the turn. And if you're looking through the turn, that's where you're going to go. So where your focus is, where your language is going, that's the direction that you're, that you're going to take your life. Why? Because that's what you're indicating your brain is what you got to focus on. Yeah. I've even, I've even up the Annie for myself because I, I write affirmations out depending on where I'm at in my life and read them every morning. It's part of my routine. And um, I've even gone this, the next step where I'm uh, instead of like I, I'm working on being wealthy, I am taking actions daily to become wealthy because then I'm like focusing on action. So there's so many ways you can play with that because it is so true this weekend. Last week was um, on a ski trip with my family and my sister was there. And it was her birthday. So we went skiing and um, it was a really narrow path. And, she, and she's like, this is really kind of freaking me out. And I said, don't look where you want, don't want to go. Look where you want to go. At the bottom of the hill, she's like, oh my gosh, that was incredible. I, I wasn't fearful anymore. And I was able to control myself. This is something I learned in mountain bike racing. And, you know, you look 20 feet ahead of you, you don't look where, where your wheel is because <laughs> you're, or, and if you look over the curb or over the, or over the cliff or over the embankment, you're going to go down the embankment. There's just no way around it. Um, so I love how you put that into the, into the, the word mindset game, because that is 100% fact. I'll, yeah. I'll challenge anybody on that. 100%. You got to yeah. focus on where you want to go, where you're going, where you want to go. Absolutely. Yeah. Language is vitally important, vitally important of 
um, what direction you want your life to go in. Right. Yeah. And then the other one, you know, plenty of guys and I've been guilty. And, and this is the reason why I had the marital issues that I had got kicked out. This is the reason why guys talk about, I'm not talking about my feelings. I'm not talking about my problems. I'm not talking about this. I'm not talking about that. And there's guys that even pride themselves in, man, I do real well at compartmentalizing. Yeah, you do. Uh, however, you're not doing such a good job because that compartmentalization is creating a lot of stress in your life. You're creating isolation. You're pushing people away. You're pushing your family away. And we think that we are playing a good game. We think that we are fooling everybody, but the only person we're fooling is ourselves because those that know us well enough see straight through that. And who better to see straight through that than our kids and our spouse? Yeah, for sure. So the analogy I use for this one, I'm big on analogies. The analogy I use for this, and it's exactly what I did. Think about, I, I tell people that people are a lot like Coke bottles. When you shake up a two liter bottle of Coke, what happens to the inside? It becomes very pressurized, right? And then how the bottle at, at the beginning was a little bit flexible. Once you build that pressure inside, now it's extremely hard. And then when we pop that cap, it creates this explosion. We use people do the same thing when we don't talk about the things that we try to compartmentalize. When we don't, um, when we don't talk about these things that are bothering us, we build up pressure on the inside. We become very rigid, very toxic, very negative people on the outside. And then somebody triggers us and that creates that explosion. Now that explosion could be anything from spouse abuse, child abuse, drug abuse, self-abuse, suicide, murder, crime, you name it. So, okay, so the question is, well, I'm already pressurized. Now what? Well, you gotta you gotta pop that cap a little bit, and you gotta release some of that pressure. And you the, you find somebody you trust, and you tell them what you're feeling. I just seen, um, I just seen on 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 social media, um, one of my one of my Facebook friends. Um, and just posted one of their friends and big burly dude committed suicide because well uh, we're guys we don't talk about that no release a little bit of that pressure talk about it a little bit and once you start talking about these things and getting these things out you start to release that pressure now you can take the cap completely off and start pouring it out so then when you put the cap back on and you got maybe that much coke left and you shake that bottle up you might get a hiss or nothing at all. So guess right. what? You're no longer triggered because you've been able to talk about these things. The reason why so many guys walk around with a scowl on their face and, and irritation and anger and, and, and this, this misunderstood masculinity is because there are things going on internally that they're not willing to share. And that's the exact issue that I had when I had the affair on my wife, when I got kicked out of the Marine Corps after 13 years. 
when I told my wife, yeah, just move back up to Indiana. I'll stay down in North Carolina. Go ahead and take my newborn son too. I don't care. Yeah, I think it, it, it comes to circles back also to vulnerability. Um, yeah. A lot of men feel that sharing, talking through things is putting them in a vulnerable, dangerous position. I would say that another place for growth is the discomfort of vulnerability because that is where you will grow. And so um, I think this is a really, really huge topic for men. In fact, just today, someone in the Brotherhood group posted that, you know, they, there's times when they just get super, super frustrated, like, and just don't have a way to release that. And, and that's, that's a point of vulnerability. They shared that now there's room for growth. And that's, um, such a, such an important message men need to hear, especially the more masculine, keep it inside. And I love the, I hate toxic masculinity because it's vilifying something that we are, we are masculine. We have testosterone. It is just the facts misunderstood masculinity. It's the first time I heard that, believe it or not. And I think it's um, an incredibly uh, strong reframing mm. of a popular term that needs to go away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And the, the vulner, vulnerability, absolutely is going to put you in a vulnerable spot. Dangerous, absolutely not. No, it's actually going to help you. Yeah. Right. If, if, if you're vulnerable in a combat zone or you're, you're, you're a cop and you're vulnerable on, on, you know, in, on your beat, like, or, or in fire or something like that, like, yeah, of course. And jujitsu. Yeah, of course. But we, as men, we have this issue with being vulnerable with our spouses. And, and again, I've been guilty of this, but why wouldn't you want to be vulnerable? Like, here's the thing. You go to bed with her every night, so you are in your most vulnerable you will ever be with anybody by sleeping next to her at night. By sharing that information of what's going on inside you, a couple things. One, you're opening up. You're allowing that person in, for better or for worse, right? So you're letting that person in. That's going to build an even deeper connection because when you don't share who you are with your spouse, that develop that drives isolation. Right. And here's the other piece, and this is probably one of the biggest pieces that people that, that, that we as men have to understand. Our spouses don't have to understand. And we should hope they never do. This is a big conversation for, for vets a lot of times because we as vets, we don't want to share the things that we've been through, maybe in combat or, or whatever, uh, with our spouses. And a lot of times it's because, well, they're not going to understand. You're damn right they're not going to understand. We wouldn't want hopefully, them to because it means they've been through it. Hopefully they never do understand. They're not wanting you to share the information to understand. They're wanting you to share the information with them because they want you to be vulnerable with them. They want to feel connected to you. And when you don't share anything, when you don't talk about some of these things that you're dealing with, that drives isolation from the person you're supposed to be closest to. Solid word. Solid. 
I, I refer to it as um, emotional intimacy. Women really need emotional intimacy. And part of that is just being vulnerable with them and sharing where your mind, where your heart, where your soul lies. Because like you said, we kind of agreed to be extremely vulnerable by the fact that we sleep with this woman every night. We are, you know, it's about as vulnerable as you can get. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And so we're, we're, we're living a split life if we feel like we can be vulnerable in that way and not in another way. And I think there's some real cognitive dissonance that comes into play for men in that area where they're really struggling. And, um, the, the answer is quite simple. It's just share. That's it. Talk it out. They don't have to agree. And like you said, they don't have to understand for them. It's just hearing and knowing and, and at least understanding the point, like the things going on in your head not understanding why, but understanding what. And a lot of times they, you know, us as guys, we say, well, I'm not sharing it with them because I'm protecting them. Uh, we're not sharing it with them because we're trying to protect ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a lie. That's, because, a, that's a lie. We tell ourselves for sure. Cause it's extremely scary. It's extremely scary at first. I've had conversations with my wife that have been extremely vulnerable, but yeah, it was scary when, like, it was scary as hell before uh, um, thinking about the conversation I'm about to have. Heart rate picks up, adrenaline spikes, everything. But now, hey, this is what's going on. This is how I'm feeling about it. Yeah, uncomfortable conversations are part of being a man. It's it, <clears throat> right. If you can't have an uncomfortable conversation, then you have some real growth to go through. And that's just the reality of it. Yep. Well, man, I, I love your perspective. I love it. I love your, um, your story. Appreciate you for sharing that with us. I'm, I'm glad you're creating a legacy of growth with your son. I think we all can take something from that. And uh, eight will turn to 12 and 12 will turn to 15 and 15 will turn into 17. And that young man will be uh, rearing to be an adult will be prepared to be an adult, which is one of the things I believe is that we are called to prepare adults. We're not called to raise children. So, um, it was awesome talking to you. I really appreciate the time. Yeah. I appreciate you having me on. All right. Thanks. Thanks everybody for listening. Thank you for listening to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and follow us on social media. If you are a father, make sure you join our Facebook group, the Brotherhood of Fatherhood. Hit the subscribe button and tune in next time for more podcasts from the Brotherhood of Fatherhood.